Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Dive into Science with 15 by 4 Munich podcast. We are a science communication nonprofit organization and will bring you some fun, interesting interviews with scientists. My name is Enes and I'm here today with my co-host Antonis and our guest David. Hello, how are you doing today? Hi Enes. Hey, nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. Hi David, thanks for joining us today for the episode of our podcast. Welcome. Yeah, so thanks we... for bringing me onto the podcast. Shall we already start with some basic questions about yourself? Could you please tell us about your academic background and uh, your current work? Sure, yeah. So I'm originally a theoretical physicist. So I studied theoretical physics at university. Um, but I'm now actually doing a PhD at the LMU Munich, more in a biological direction. So I'm doing something that we call theoretical biophysics, where we try to use principles and ideas that, that have been developed in theoretical physics traditionally to biological questions and biological systems. And specifically in my PhD, I'm working on the problem of cell migration. So we're trying to understand how cells in the body move around and how they navigate through their environment. Um, that's actually really cool. And um, I want to ask you, why did you choose this specific topic for your PhD? Uh, what's the motivation behind it? Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question, because uh, I really didn't choose this topic so much. It sort of happened a bit randomly. Oh. So and, and I think this is often how, how it happens in science. So, um, you know, I was doing this very theoretical physics in, in my bachelor's, my master's, and I was very motivated to do this. And I'm really interested in this. But when I thought about where you can actually do new research and ask new questions, then I, I had the feeling that um, what's really interesting in physics is trying to understand if we can actually use these simple physical principles that we know from physics in very complex systems, such as biological systems. And so I knew I wanted to go sort of into biological physics, but I had no idea I was going to end up working on cell migration or cancer cells specifically. And, and that sort of happened randomly when I arrived at LMU Munich. Mm -hmm. And there was not really a plan when I started my PhD, but uh, things just sort of developed. Okay, very nice to hear that you found already what you, what you wanted, more or less. Um, you mentioned two things, cancer cells and complex environments. Can you tell us a bit, why do you, like, first, how do you define a complex environment? And maybe what do you, why do you think cancer cells... Um, are related to complex environment? Do you think they, they are complex cells or do you think these are the ones that you find in complex environments? Right. So, so I guess to, to start talking about cancer cells and, and especially cell migration, we should think a little bit about why certain cells actually move around in the body, right? Because mm -hmm. of course, most cells in your body actually don't move at all. They like cells are like your skin cells or your muscle cells. They just stay where they are, right? Um, but there are some cells in the body, such as immune cells and wound healing cells, that actually have the ability to switch from this kind of stationary um, fate to something much more migratory, where they follow a directed path, say, to hunt down a pathogen or to heal a wound. But cancer cells also use exactly this mechanism. They basically abuse it to uh, do something that's not good for our body, right? Um, and so they also make the switch to a migratory uh, phenotype, it's called. And uh, when cells migrate in the body, they are surrounded by a very complex environment because, of course, when a cell migrates inside the body, there's all kinds of stuff in the way, right? 
so um, there are actually uh, polymer networks that make up sort of your skin and your tissue and cells have to migrate through these networks and actually squeeze through very thin constrictions in, this, in these networks. And that's what we call complex environments here. And what we were particularly interested in, in in our research was how cells actually have this ability to overcome thin constrictions in their environment. Mm -hmm. um, so what causes cancer cells to move? Uh, what triggers them? And is this a random process? Right. So I would say this is actually a bit more general than just cancer cells. So in general, these migratory cells, both the wound healing and immune cells and also the cancer cells, they have certain inherent mechanisms that they use to move around. And specifically, this mechanism is based on something called the cytoskeleton. And the cytoskeleton is something like, you can imagine it kind of like the skeleton of the cell. So it consists of lots of polymers, which are kind of like the bones of the skeleton. Um, but the skeleton is actually extremely dynamic. So these polymers at the front of the cell can actually grow and at the back of the cell depolymerize. And this way, the cell is essentially taking away material at the back and adding it again at the front. And this way it can move forward. But of course, because we're at the cellular scale, right? This is on the scale of maybe 10 microns or something. Everything is extremely stochastic and random. So there's lots of sort of thermal forces and everything is super crowded with lots of molecules that regulate everything. And therefore the final outcome of this process um, is highly stochastic. So you will never see a cell do the exact same thing twice. And that's actually been an, an important direction in, in our research to try and understand what parts of an observed cell behavior are predictable or deterministic and which ones are random or stochastic. Uh, because if you just look at some experimental video, it's really hard to tell what of this is due to, you know, what the cell wants to do deterministically and what just happens randomly. Mm -hmm. So uh, I imagine that for your research, you have to recreate these uh, environments in uh, laboratory conditions. Um, how do you do that? And uh, how similar is it to the environments that we have in the human body? Right. So uh, for, for this experimental part, we actually have collaborators also here at the LMU Munich in the group of mm -hmm. Joachim Redler. And they have developed methods to actually confine cells to standardized environments. So they can basically print any geometry you want um, and confine cells to this kind of cage-like uh, confinement. And uh, we do that because if we wanted to study cells in the real uh, so-called extracellular matrix, these polymer networks that make up your tissues and your skin and so on, um, they're extremely complicated, right? There's lots and lots of stuff going on. And in order to actually develop physics for these systems, we need to simplify this, right? And so for this, we use these very standardized geometries where essentially cells um, encounter the same constriction or the same uh, environmental features over and over again so that we can actually gather lots of statistics on how cells interact with their environment. That sounds also a bit funny for me. I can, I can try to imagine now cells trying to move inside some strange shapes or whatever you give them maybe yeah um, yeah so so I, I can tell you a little bit about how it's actually a bit funny please. because uh so the shape we we take is not very funny it's pretty boring so it's oh. two squares <laughs> kind of like two rooms and they're connected by a thin corridor right and so we put a breast cancer cell into this and these cells are really programmed to be extremely migratory right so that all they want to do is just move and they just move in any direction that's possible and so when they're in this room, 
the only way out is this corridor, right? And so the cell makes lots of effort to squeeze itself through this thin corridor and generates forces and deforms itself. It must be super exhausting, but then it gets to the other side and then there's just the same room again. And all it can do is turn around and again go through this very narrow, uncomfortable corridor. And we really force these cells to do this hundreds of times or maybe, you know, 20, 30 times in their lifetime. And so we get lots of statistics on that. Okay. Um, that sounds very interesting and uh, quite tiring for the cells, <laughs> if they could get tired. Um, so maybe you could tell us in uh, not so complicated uh, terms, uh, how are you using principles of theoretical physics to study exactly this type of uh, cell migration? Yeah, so, so I think the main aspect I already alluded to a little bit earlier where I was saying that some components of this movement, say how the cell moves across the thin corridor, are deterministic or predictable, and some of them are stochastic or random, right? And in theoretical physics, there's actually very precise language for models that have been developed to describe this distinction between something that is predictable and something that is stochastic uh, in a, quite a principled way. And so this is called the theory of stochastic processes. And it's really something very general. So people use this uh, theory to describe everything from the financial market to the weather um, to, uh, to these biological phenomena. Um, and so what we do specifically is we measure the state of these cells moving from one side to the other. And we essentially track their position as a function of time. And so we get something that is called the trajectory of the cell which is just the position of the cell as a function of time. And then we try to use these statistical methods based on this theory of stochastic processes to actually learn directly from these observed trajectories what parts of this motion are deterministic and what are stochastic and what their properties are. Um, so I think you previously had a podcast about machine learning in this series. Mm -hmm. It's also yes. a learning approach where we use data to learn models. But it's actually something that is a little bit more directly related to things that we know from physics rather than sort of black box machine learning algorithms. Okay, sounds very interesting. We always have in mind whenever we hear cells, we we expect to you know more biology related uh, questions. But uh, what do you think can be the next step and the impact your work in the future? Like, what are you trying to, except for finding which processes, right, on the, on the cell level, which processes are deterministic and which are not? Mm -hmm. um, can, you, can you tell us a bit what's kind of the next step in your research? What do you expect uh, uh, to achieve afterwards? Right, yeah. So, you know, at the moment, what I've said sounds a little bit abstract, right? We, we have these cell trajectories, and then we try to develop some model of deterministic and stochastic components based on this. But we think that this can be useful in, in two different ways. One of them is that we want to understand what underlying molecular or biological processes, you might want to call it, actually determine these behaviors, um, and how specific molecules in the cell or specific uh, mechanistic processes actually give rise to these predictable and these stochastic components. And having this understanding at this higher level of the deterministic and stochastic components can actually be important to um, sort of find out what these mechanisms are. And the other direction that we want to go is to think about, you know, having studied this very simple system of just a cell hopping across this corridor, how can we actually understand 
other more complex or general systems. And so one thing that we've actually started doing already is looking at cells interacting with each other. So we can also put another cell into this other chamber, right? And then if they both want to migrate into this corridor, they actually bump into each other and sort of collide into each other and maybe fight a little bit. Um, and, mm -hmm. and there again, we could use these kind of methods to actually learn what the interactions between these cells are. And we're now doing experiments where we actually change the molecular makeup of these cells. So we, we get rid of certain molecules that are important for when these cells touch each other for mediating information or communication between cells. And then we can see how this affects the behavior um, at this, uh, with this physics-based approach where we infer the different components. Mm -hmm. So if we compare um, normal cell behavior to cancer cell behavior, uh, how do you describe it? Uh, what do they do? Uh, right, they... so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, so uh, one important component between these two different cells uh, or cell, cell types is actually in this example where two cells collide with each other, right? So when two normal cells collide with each other, they have a mechanism called contact inhibition of locomotion. And what this means is that when the two cells hit each other, they actually want to turn around and go back to where they came from sort of reverse their, their, their motion, right? So this is this inhibition of motion. Um, and this is seen for almost all cell types. There are all kinds of healthy cells, but for cancer cells, this looks quite different. So these cells somehow manage to downregulate the molecules that mediate this process and thereby attain the, um, the possibility to actually squeeze past each other. And so if these two cells collide with each other, these cancer cells, they don't just go back to where they came from, but they actually actively squeeze past one another and interchange positions. They're actually very good at, um, at, at getting past one another and moving out of the tumor. They never stop apparently, right? Even if things get hard for the cancer cells. Right, so yeah, they're very <laughs> aggressive. Um, do you think this is one of the reasons why they cause so many problems in our body? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the problem. It's essentially, Cells that are, are badly programmed um, to, to reproduce and move in all kinds of ways that are not good for you, right? Although I, I should say that if, if you want to ask questions about really the, the medical aspects of this, then, you know, I'm the wrong person because I'm just doing this very basic research <laughs> on, on what happens in very simple systems. Damn it. I, was, I had one medical question for the end, but yeah. I'll well, skip it maybe. Exactly. <laughs> maybe I will skip it. <laughs> well, you should, you should get a, a, a real cancer, like an oncologist onto the podcast. There are lots of them in here as well. If yeah. we can convince one, sure. Because, yeah, every time, if you hear about cancer, if it's uh, uh, basic research, you want to know how can we then use this as a, as a type of therapy to cure cancer or to mm -hmm. stop it from uh, kind of invading other tissues. But okay, right. uh, we will spare you this question. <laughs> um, I have other questions though, more fun ones. Uh, we did all the serious talk about all the science and the statistics. Um, so I have some quick fire questions and uh, they're just simple questions and you answer what whatever uh, pops in your head. Um, so a book that you want to recommend to our listeners, what would it be? Right. So uh, when I was a kid, I really, or when I was in, in school and, and beginning of university, I really enjoyed uh, reading biographies of, of scientists. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a great book about uh, physicist Marie Curie, who's known for discovering radioactivity. And the book's actually written by her daughter. 
Yes. And it's a very uh, personal view on, on sort of a, an important scientist. Yeah, that's, that's a great recommendation. Okay. Um, what is your favorite science portal? Like maybe you have a specific social media account that you like to follow. Uh, can be an account or a person uh, that you like their opinions on science. Yeah, so I've actually discovered that Twitter is used by a lot of scientists and I'm also on Twitter and I would recommend, you know, if there are scientists you like, they're probably on Twitter and, and sharing their thoughts and, mm -hmm. uh, on, on lots of stuff. And uh, uh, a particular account that I think everyone would enjoy is the one from Udel Hakavi. He's uh, an Israeli scientist who works on epigenetics, but he also tweets lots of uh, funny science memes. Mm, the, the right way to make science popular. Yeah. Um, do you also want to share your Twitter um, handle if you want right, yeah, to follow so it's, you? Uh, it's D underscore Rukna with UE. Maybe you'll get some new followers. Uh, and the classic question, of course, I have to ask, uh, if you could have an hour-long uh, lunch with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? So I think I would I would go for someone dead, uh, <laughs> since, you know, an alive person might still happen anyway. And I, I, I would probably go for Richard Feynman because he was really my sort of uh, uh, physics hero when, when I was uh, in university. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that would be an interesting conversation to have. Antonis, do you have any pressing questions before we, we say goodbye to David? I, I have to ask this. Since, David, you said about your, the shape of your, of your system, before I have to ask this, are you planning to make some strange shapes? <laughs> Can you make some star-shaped systems or something? Can you make it hard for the cells to yeah, move so, around? <laughs> so we are working on, on sort of labyrinths where we want to see where the cells actually end up. Um, and there was actually a very cool paper in science uh, a few months ago where they actually rebuilt a labyrinth from some uh, uh, Renaissance castle. Like they, they, they just took the same labyrinth and they, they built it at the micro scale and then they put cells into this. And they actually found that the cells have mechanisms to communicate with one another to optimally find the route from one end of the labyrinth to ah, the other one. Really? Which we probably wouldn't manage if we were in this castle and trying to solve this labyrinth. Well, if you try it, you should send us a video or something. Unfortunately, we have a podcast and we, <laughs> we have to find a way to show to people. Yeah, yeah, that would be super cool. Um, all right. I, I'm afraid we are uh, at the end of this podcast episode. And it has been a really fun conversation. Um, thank you so much for coming on here, David, and for the, for the information that you gave us. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening, and we hope you learned something new today. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms at 15 by 4 Munich. Until next time. Bye.